Okay, so now we're going to be starting the second essay. So we, like I said last night, we're transitioning. So the first essay was all about the, um, let's call it a historical fiction, but it's a little bit more than just historical fiction, because the story that it, it purports to say over is a story that did take place. It is a story of a king who, together with his people, converted to Judaism. Now, the reason why I'm calling it historical fiction is because, as we know, you don't probably he did not actually have access to the conversations back and forth between the king and the rabbi that convinced the king to convert to Judaism. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really make a difference. He's giving over the philosophy of what the uh, philosophy is not even necessarily the right word, but the Jewish beliefs and the Jewish worldviews about what Judaism is all about. And that was what the first essay was all about. At the end of that first essay, once the rabbi finishes explaining what Judaism is all about, the king decides to become Jewish. So the second essay, as we will shortly find out, is actually happening after the king is already Jewish, and now he is a student and trying to understand what the Torah teaches. Okay? So page 141. What happened to the Khazar king afterwards is recorded in the Khazar history books. The books say that the king eventually revealed his recurring dream to his chief officer. The recurring dream told the king to go to the Warsan Mountains, don't know where those are, and seek out the activity desired by God. The king and his chief officer went to these mountains in the desert by the sea. The books recount how in the middle of the night they reached a cave where Jews used to observe the Sabbath every week, and how they revealed themselves to the Jews and converted to Judaism, which included being circumcised in that very cave. They returned to their country with their hearts committed to Judaism, but they initially hid their faith. Then with fear and discretion, they slowly began to divulge their secret little by little to a select group of their inner circle. Their numbers grew until finally they revealed their secret to the public and prevailed upon the rest of the Khazar population to convert to Judaism. They brought in Jewish sages and books from different countries and learned the Torah from them. The Khazar books detail all their successes in vanquishing their enemies, conquering various lands, discovering hidden treasures, and amassing armies numbering in the hundreds of thousands. They also elaborate on how the Khazars loved the Torah and yearned for the temple to the point where they erected a facsimile of the tabernacle that Moshe built. They gave honor to their local Jews and took pride in them. Okay, so this is the story of the, you know, we're fast forwarding many, you know, steps along the way, but now we're telling us what happened next. But now we're going to continue on to the second essay because ultimately this is not a history book and it's not really coming to tell us the story about the Khazarians. It's using this as a very useful prop in terms of helping express what Judaism believes about the world and what Judaism believes, you know, Jew Jewish, the worldview. When the king studied the Torah and the prophets, he took the rabbi as his teacher and asked him questions regarding the Hebrew texts. He first asked him about the names and attributes which are ascribed to the blessed creator, since a number of these attributes imply some level of physicality, whereas physicality is precluded both intellectually and explicitly by the Torah. So we've discussed in the past how the Rambam, Maimonides, in his Guide to the Perplexed, explains, <coughs> excuse me, how the Rambam explains that the, that the fact that we describe Hashem as if he has a, a physical body sometimes and an outstretched arm, right? But that is using terminology that we are able to relate to. But the Gazari is not even going to at first deal with the physical, actual physical attributes of God, right? In other words, when the Torah describes Hashem as taking his outstretched arm and taking us out of the land of Egypt, that's clearly metaphor, right? What the, what the Guzari is more bothered with, what the Guzarian king is more bothered with, is the concept that we talk about Hashem as if he 
has emotional response things akin to the way a human does. Okay, so let's see. The rabbi said all of God's names, except for the explicit name, are attributes and descriptions ascribed to God based on how he affects his creations in accordance with his degree, decrees and deeds. In other words, the different names that we have for God, and we have many different names for God, and excluding the, the name that which we do not mention, right? The name which is um, the yud Hey and the vav Hey, right? So that name is a name that actually comes closer to describing his essence. Those four letters together are describing something that is clearly non, not as relatable, okay? So when we talk about Hashem as being harachamun, right? We talk about Hashem as being the, the merciful one. We're describing Hashem appearing to us in a merciful type guise, right? When we talk about Hashem as being no game, right? That he takes revenge against those who do the wrong thing. Then we're referring to Hashem and when he takes revenge. My point is to say that all the names of Hashem refer to different elements and different aspects and different guises in which Hashem is interacting with the world and the way in which we relate to him, therefore. The name of Hashem, the true essence of Hashem, and the closest that we can get to approximating that is this name, yud hey vav hey Okay, so let's see. These are all the other names. There are attributes and descriptions ascribed to God. God is thus called merciful when he ameliorates the situation of someone who, because of his desperate state, would normally be the object of human mercy. This is a very important point. Because if you think about it, if you describe somebody as being merciful, that means you're describing them as having emotions. You're describing them as having the ability to feel one way about some matter and then feel a different way about a matter, right? Typically, that's, that's how we would associate the word, he is a merciful person, right? That's how we would associate it. The problem, of course, is God does not have emotions. God is not physical, right? And emotions, by their very nature, imply a certain level of physicality, right? Less abstract. We don't believe that about God. So you can't say that when it says merciful, it means literally merciful. So what do we really mean when we say that he is merciful? What that really means is when you see someone acting in a way that exhibits mercy, you call that a merciful act. Even if the person themselves are not actually feeling the emotional state of being merciful, right? So you see someone, I don't know why this just popped into my head, like mercy killings for some reason. I mean, that problem is that mercy killings and merciful are really not, not necessarily so connected to each other. But, um, but the, 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 they, Dave is saying maybe they are more connected. Okay, maybe we'll have that debate a different time then. <laughs> um, so, but, but the concept being like this, the concept is that we're not actually describing the emotional state that is the impetus for the behavior. We're describing the perception of that behavior from an external perspective. So from externally, the type of behaviors that we associate with a merciful act, we will then call merciful. Whether or not the person is doing that because they want to be merciful or not because they want to be merciful, not important to us. Okay? So we therefore ascribe to God the attributes of mercy and charity. When in reality, these traits, when measured in human terms, Characterize one whose spirit has been wounded from seeing another's pain and who has a natural instinct for compassion. We talk about people being merciful. We talk about people being charitable. The way that that works is when you have someone who has a empathetic soul and feels someone else's pain 
And because they're feeling someone else's pain, they step up to try to fill that void. They try to make things better for them. And then they exhibit mercy and, and charity. But they can't describe Hashem like that. Rather, he is a righteous judge and decrees upon one individual poverty and upon another individual wealth without essentially changing. He's not being merciful with one and angry with the other. So even if in our perception to one type of person or to one individual person, seemingly Hashem is unhappy with their behavior, and to another person, seemingly he's happy, and therefore we describe it as God acting with what we call the attribute of justice versus God acting with what we call the attribute of mercy. The reality is it's not really that God is exhibiting this attribute. It is that from our perspective, it is the kind of deed that we associate with that attribute. We see the same type of behavior in human judges when they are asked to judge and they rule according to the law. Ultimately, some litigants will emerge from judgment victorious, while others will be a judge liable. Everything depends upon the jurisprudence and verdict of the judge. The judge himself, however, does not change as a result of his judgment. Okay? This is an, an interesting idea. What he's trying to say is like this. When, when you, there is a system in place, right? And there's a system that tells us that under certain circumstances, the judge is supposed to say, and obviously not, not when you have a jury system in place, but fine, other, other countries, and even in our country, of course, sometimes the judge does get to decide on his own. And the judge is trying to make a, a, an honest assessment, and they're really doing their best to figure out what's the reality here, what's not reality over here. They then follow the rules and regulations set up in place. And they're really just executing what judgment should be. But sometimes what judgment is going to look like is that the judge is being merciful. And sometimes it's going to look like that the judge is being uh, you know, not merciful, vengeful. But the reality is they're really just following the sentencing guidelines, so to speak. It's not impacting the judge per se. So when Hashem exhibits a certain behavior, he is doing exactly what is right. It doesn't mean to say we don't see Hashem's sentencing guidelines, right? But everything that Hashem does is perfect. Everything that Hashem does is, of course, always just, even if we don't see it and don't understand it. But of course, it's just. So that means that it is exactly what that person deserves. So you can't say that this is God being merciful because they were miraculously saved. The kid fell out of a burning building and somebody walking by right at that moment catches the kid. Was God being merciful by setting up that the person walking by was right there? On the one hand, you could say he was being merciful, right? Indeed, he was being merciful. Or was he being merciful that a car drove by right at the moment and the car had a mattress on top of it and the kid bounced off the mattress and is totally fine? Miracle. Is that God being merciful? So seemingly, yes, it's God being merciful. The reality is that is exactly what was supposed to happen, given whatever sort of factors and whatever. We don't even understand ourselves. What were the reasons for this? We don't know. But everything that happened, happened because this is what was supposed to happen in terms of this is the correct judgment for those individuals given their specific set of circumstances and parameters. So it's not that Hashem was being merciful or Hashem was not being merciful. Hashem was doing exactly what they deserved. It's just from our perspective, we associate that with being merciful. We associate this with being more about judgment, vengeful, and, and uh, you know, words of, of, that, of that nature. Okay, we'll stop over here. Take care, everyone. Be well. Have a great night.